A quick disclaimer, the thoughts and opinions expressed on the Doored Up podcast are strictly those of the hosts and guests of the show and do not reflect official policies or viewpoints of any law enforcement, government, or public service entity, nor is the Doored Up podcast officially affiliated with said agencies. The Doored Up podcast contains mostly true stories told by the law enforcement officers, firefighters, emergency medical services personnel, military veterans, and first responders who lived through them. Some names and details may have been changed to protect the anonymity of persons involved. Realize that some listeners may be familiar with these stories, and we would encourage them to refrain from commenting with any clarifying details that might violate that anonymity. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode one of the Doored Up Podcast. We talk with law enforcement officers, fire and EMS personnel, military other first responders and all the people connected to them bring you their stories told by them. Today, I'm joined. My name's Drew. I'm your host. Sorry. Guess I better get that out there. Today, we're joined by my good friend of many, many years, Shannon. Hello. All right. Get that music turned off. All right. So Shannon has been a good friend of mine for many years. We've been working together uh, in various capacities for what? Since 2003? Three or four, because... 2004. Yep, so um, we were deployed in the military together. That's how we met uh, many years ago. We're both in the same National Guard unit. Went to Iraq together twice, and then I got out, and then Shannon stayed in. He's still in, and uh, recently got home from his third deployment. Yeah. So... um, I only have to make it till November 21st. (laughs) And how many years is that for you? That would be an even 20. An even 20. That's pretty good. Most people don't stick around that long. I didn't. I only made, I didn't even re-enlist. I made it through seven. Oh, you only did one contract? Yeah. Yeah, they put me on stop loss, and I decided that uh, that was enough for me. I'd had it, so I left after that. But Shannon has kind of a unique perspective in that he came into, uh, you came into military and law enforcement later in life compared to most people. I did. So I was... Uh, I started trying to enlist when I was 17. How old were you enlisted? How old were you when you enlisted? 29. 29. And by that point, you were already a dad. You had... Oh, I was married and divorced twice and had (laughs) two children. Right. That's a a side note. I had a young... When I was a young deputy, when I first started out, I had a training officer that told me, if you don't have at least two divorce decrees in your gun safe by the time you retire, then you did it wrong. I had, I had my two by 24. Yeah. So you joined up at 29, and then how old were you when you came into law enforcement working at the sheriff's office? I think 34. It had been right after our first deployment. Right. In fact, I started applying when I was, we are in Baghdad. I actually called the undersheriff of the county I wanted to work for from overseas because I had applied before, and I had been in contact with the sheriff's department quite a bit, criminal justice program. So I called him and said, hey, is this even worth my time when I get back? And he said, yes. Okay. So what brought you to, what were you doing before that? Uh, college. For the third time. <laughs> For what? <laughs> the third time. <laughs> so what was, your, what was your focus on that? Uh, so the first, the second time, it would have been criminal justice. The third time... I didn't think I was going to get into law enforcement. So I 
started going back to school to become a vocational ed teacher. Okay. Nice. I know that you did, uh, for a long time, you did computer repair on the side as well. I did. I did that for like four years. Okay. I started, it's one of my many side jobs during college. I should have just focused on one and did that. Right. I did industrial insulation on and off for 10 years. Okay. And at the end, my boss was like, if you make your college schedule for every other day, you can work every other day. Okay. You know, 30 hours a week. He, he was fine with that. I just should have been doing that for the whole 10 years instead of I'd work for him in the summer, then quit and work for like Godfather's Pizza. Right. Or some dumb job like that. And then I'd go back and work for them in the summer. I should have just stayed with them the whole time. It would have been a lot easier. Yeah. So we, you started about six months to a year, I think, before me at the sheriff's office in the, the agency that Shannon worked for at the time that I still work for. Everybody has to do time in the detention center. You got to start in the jail, kind of hone your skills and learn how to talk to people. When was that that you started? August of 2005. Okay. So yeah, about six months because I started in February of 06. I was our first academy and you were in the second one? Yeah. Yeah. We had enough people that applied because we were hurting for, hurting for people to work there. um, And they ended up getting it cleared to do in-house academies. I think we had... 16 people our first class? I think so. You guys had a bunch. And there's like five that are left. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I know we had the second class. I think we had 10 or 11. And I think there's four of us, five of us that are still, still there. So. I know there's several that are still in law enforcement, just not with that department. Yeah. Yeah. And then several years later, how many years did you do? With sheriff's seven office. seven years okay that's what I thought because it was a year more than me before I got out on patrol I transferred out to patrol and then you moved to our sister agency uh, in our jurisdiction and then we ended up going to peace officer basic together yeah and that was 2012 yeah was that April yeah it was the spring class of 2012 and many good times were had because our they seat you al- alphabetically, basically, the way that it breaks down in our academy classes. And our last names are only a few letters off. Uh, so we sat right next to each other. Get- yeah, <laughs> up to that point, I mean, we were friends. We knew each other, but we weren't really close friends. Yeah. We had been deployed together, and we had worked. We, I don't even think that you and I ever worked a shift together in my seven years. at the. There may have been a couple times, because I had to work... Um, I always wound up filling in extra days on the other end of the week to make up for drill when I was still in the guard. Right. Up until 2010. So there was some time in there where I think we may have worked one or two shifts together, but nothing substantial. And that's when we kind of became really close friends, started hanging out together all the time because we knew that we always had common interests, but we just never. Right. You know, so crazy movies. And you urged me to about that time frame to get on Netflix that's a like I oh, remember really? I remember that conversation. You were like, Have you watched this movie? Have you watched this movie? I'm like, no, I haven't seen it. And you're like, You gotta get on Netflix. So oh well, I've bit the bullet and you know, I'm glad I influenced you on something. Yes. Yeah, so for our younger viewers or listeners that don't believe it, Netflix used to come in the mail on discs. Netflix, Netflix still comes in the mail to my house. It does still come in the mail. I just canceled mine not too long ago because they would send me a disc and I wouldn't watch it for a month and then they'd send me an email like Hey, we're going to send you another disc because you either lost that one or whatever. 
you need to pay for it if you still have it. Right. So. Well, just on every movie streaming. And yeah. There are some movies I really want to watch that I put on my list like three years ago, and then it'll finally pop up. Yeah. And then I don't remember why I ever never wanted to see this movie. Right. But your affinity for finding, like, arguably the most fucked up horror movies and referring them, like, just watch. I remember there was a couple of movies, like Antichrist, if you haven't seen that. <laughs> I get messages from Shannon, you need to watch this movie. Don't watch the whole thing. Like, fast forward to XYZ point in the movie. Just watch, like, these 10 minutes of the movie and God, tell me what you think. And that movie was so fucked up. That is really all you need from that movie. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, we had several of the people that we went through the academy with from the same agency you work for now were also in that class with us, and they're still around. I think two of them. Two. So out of five of us, only three are left. Right, right. And I had I was the only person from my agency. Yeah. But there's still a couple other people that I'm still in touch with from our class that that are still working in law enforcement. It's crazy how people come and go and quickly yeah you know they go through that what 12 13 weeks of torture then their own field training and then a year later they decide or during that process it's not for me yeah and that's so to touch on that um i had wrote a note to talk about this later but later on in your career you became a training officer i did so do you have a number of how many trainees you had while you were training i would say over 15 okay and how long is your training program for your agency 12 weeks 12 weeks there's four parts a b c and d and then there are between b and c there's a midterm and then after d there's a final evaluation process okay so sage advice for anyone that's brand new, looking to come into law enforcement from a seasoned officer that's been out there and seen a lot of crap, military veteran, you've been deployed to combat zones three times, well, two and a half. Two and a half. We'll go two and a half. (laughs) Two and a half. Not sure that last one counts as, you know. I had more hairiness, though, on that third one than I did on the second one. True. I will rank them first deployment, first, third, second, second. Yeah. Unrememorable. And there's, we, I have plans to do more episodes later about our Baghdad deployment in 04. Oh, that's enjoyable. Yeah. And we're going to get a couple other guys that were there with us on the podcast and tell some, some stories. I that, think that'll be a good time. That uh, I'm not entirely sure that the statute of limitations on some of that stuff has <laughs> run out that we can even dare talking about it, but we will anyway. Hey, I mean, if they're writing books on it. Why can't we talk about it? Right. Is somebody writing a book? Well, they, all those guys write books, so who knows? Uh, I haven't read any. I haven't either, but I notice a lot of people that write those books from the entity we served with. Okay. They write a lot of books. So eventually, I think something may come. I see names in those books. That okay. I, I think we know that guy. Right. Yeah. So... We'll we'll talk about all that later. Right, Just that's stay cool. tuned. Stay tuned for other episodes on that because those will be great. Um, so, so going back, sage advice for somebody brand new, no experience. Most of the people that we that I see, because I'm doing background investigations now, I see people that have like one of the first questions I ask people coming to work 
for my agency in the jail, I ask them, have you ever been in a fight? Have you ever been punched in the face? And most of them can't even fathom to answer that question. They'd be like, <laughs> why? Why would I? Like, no. Well, you might. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a decent chance that you probably will. That's what I tell them. And how are you going to handle that? Are you going to respond in anger or you're going to respond appropriately? And most of them just, man, I can't even imagine. I guess maybe we just come from a different world. Well, the best part about the jail is all you got to do is hold on for like less than 45 seconds and you know you're going to have backup. So Yeah, and that's, well, if everything goes right. Sure. If everything goes right and you're able to get out on the radio and call for help, then hopefully you've got the brown wall coming. Right. Yeah. Never know. Guys in orange sometimes like pushing that button because they like you. Yeah. Compared to somebody else who they might not like and you'll never know. There's a there's a very well known, very well known meth user in town that constantly is contacted by law enforcement. And every time I run into him, he's like, "Hey, remember that time that I jumped into that fight and helped you out when you were about to get your ass kicked with a push broom?" Yes, I remember. Thank you, and thank you for that. But you didn't need to do that. I, I do appreciate it. That was yeah. You well, took that story from me. I could have been swacked with a push broom. <laughs> Thanks. Not that I wanted to get hit with a broom handle over uh, the top of the head. I would say, do you want me to give stage advice for both or just what yeah, I do now? For anybody. I always start off with respect. Right. You get what you give. Mm-hmm. And when you get what you give, you set that tone. It really helps out. Yeah, I would. I would agree that... Even, you know, we, we deal with people on the worst day of their life, you know, the worst instance of whatever it might be, what's going on with their house burned down, they've been assaulted, they're a suspect in a crime, they've been arrested for whatever it might be. Treating those people like humans is a, you know, I think it's paramount to establishing that rapport and getting people to talk to you, especially now as investigators, uh, that's there's nothing more important than that. I noticed from my seven years at the jail, when I see people on the street that I know from the jail, because it's such a revolving door that I still see a lot of those people. Right. I have walked in third or fourth into an apartment or to a house, and that person looks at me and is like, oh, you're here. Yeah. Thank you. I'm yeah. glad you're here. He's an asshole. He's an asshole. I like you. <laughs> Remember the time? Yeah, I do. And yep. I can usually set a tone with them. Yeah. Or in I've helped control that situation just because right. they focus on me. I had, um, so I did, you know, I did three years as a task force officer working drug cases. Uh, you know, long beard, t-shirt, t-shirt and jeans every day, looking like a homeless guy. Uh, working dope cases and that my experience of working six years in the jail made it so hard for me to do UC work because every time we'd run into a case where it's like because everybody kind of gets their turn right to work undercover and try to do a buy from somebody and every time that it was like hey you're up it's your turn you're gonna go buy dope from this guy and it's like no I can't do that I already know like why because if I walk in there, they'll be like, hey, man, how's it going? How's your kids? Right. Because I, f- <laughs> like, I fed them three meals a day for four yep. years, and I gave them laundry. Yep. Yeah. I handed them toilet paper all day long for four days a week for I six years. I pulled them out of the cell so they could cry because yep. their, their 
also have life stressors, even though they're locked up and it's usually self-induced life stressors. They still need to vent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's on my, that's one of the big plans I have for the show as well as to get some folks that still work up there that we worked with that have made a career out of, you know, just walking the floor up there. Cause that's, that's commendable to me in and of itself. That somebody willing to do that as their career, like, and deal with those people at their worst for 20 years. I don't know who's smarter, them or us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's warm in the winter. It's I know. cool in the summer. You've got a kitchen there. Like when I was a young single guy working at the jail, I ate three meals a day on day shifts at oh, the jail. I, I, my coworkers now will say something. I'm like, I'm not scared to eat that. I ate jail food for seven <laughs> years. I'll... Is that a pube or a spit? I don't care. <laughs> I'm sure I ate worse. Right. So Yeah, and that's, um, so for the listeners, all of the food up there is prepared by inmate workers. So there was a lot of, I don't know if it was faith and trust or just disregard for our own safety. Oh, good eating, mix. <laughs> eating the food hey, at I, the jail. I had a time where an inmate came up from the kitchen and said, hey, don't eat this today. That's all he said. Okay. I put it out. Don't eat cop food today. Don't eat what they made for us. Yep. Because they had a separate line. They had all the mainline food that they made for all the other inmates, and then they had all the food that they made for, for the cops to eat. So I think seven years, that was the only time when somebody came up and said, not today. Yeah. So I went and told everybody. And there was nothing. I mean, we didn't. There was no investigation. There right. was nothing done. We just, that tray of food was not touched. Yep. So respect. And that give and go, so I always make it a big deal. Like, listen, here's what you don't piss off. You don't piss off the jailers. Mm-hmm. They can make your life difficult. You want to be an asshole to them, they can make you sit in that intake room as long as they want. Yep. Don't be disrespectful and piss off the yard nurses. Yep. Those are people who help you. Oh, in- yeah. God. Like, I I don't know how many times... You've been in with someone that's uncooperative and wanting to fight. You get him to the ER for a 381 for, for a involuntary committal, and you're on the fight. And here comes nurse with the night night shot with right. the B 52. Well, I mean, they can drag your time out too. You're an, you're an asshole to them. You can sit up there for an hour for something that I've gotten in under five minutes. Yep, yep. Because occasionally we run into when you're out on patrol. You take somebody in, they got to get medically cleared before they go up to the jail, especially if they're drunk or high. Uh, that happens all the time, all the time. Still, even now, with everything going on. And then be respectful to your other agency, especially officers that have been around a lot longer than the trainee or myself. Like Just because they wear a different uniform, don't disregard their input when we're on a call. Right. If they're backing us. Right, for sure. I would agree with that. And there's a lot of times, because I work, my agency is smaller than yours, and we cover a vastly wider area, somewhere in the range of, I think, 5,400 square miles. Yeah. And I remember working night shift with three people to cover that area many times, and I had no hesitation in jumping in and helping out with city calls to just be, be there to help somebody when you guys were getting slammed. Well, I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, all I am one night I am one of the uh, sergeants on duty for the 
sheriff's department. I'm, they were dealing with a an escapee way out outside of town, and I was like, I'm bored. <laughs> I'm on the west side of town. That puts me close. I I I am them first to go behind my sergeant's back, basically, and said, if you want more help, ask for me on the radio, please. Right. And he's like, hey, can I get these units? And my boss, my sergeant, was like, go right ahead. Yep. So. Yeah, right. there's many, many times where, given, you know, my experience level being on SRT for so many years and having different equipment, like night vision, when I, was, when I came back to patrol after uh, three years of working dope, I did two, two and a half years on patrol, and I was always jumping city calls to go help those guys. If I had somebody bail on a traffic stop in the middle of the night, I was headed that way because I had night vision. It's just a force multiplier to try to help those guys out. Man, sometimes there's nothing else to do. Yeah. Many, sometimes our nights times. are so quiet. It's like, I'll, I'll take anything. Yeah. I help the other agency when I'm on the east side of town all the time because it could be a Thursday night, and they're by themselves. Sure. And it takes me two minutes to get there. Yep. So, and I have no problem with that. Yeah. And for, let's see, how many years did you work that area? Like, so you, you policed the same area you lived in, the same neighborhood, essentially. Now, I worked the east side of town for four years. Okay. An area that, well, we won't say what area. So when I lived on the west side, I did that. I did a stretch out there once, which was convenient. I didn't really like that area, but you know. When you got to go pee, you just pull into your driveway and run inside real quick. <laughs> right. But uh, I sp- spent, I would say, 50% of my patrol time in the same area. Yeah. And that was on the west side of town? No, it was the east side of oh, town. east side of town. Okay. Where I live now, so. Okay. If I was still patrolling that side of town, I'd be patrolling my neighborhood. Right. And again, making it easy to go to the bathroom. Right. <laughs> or get lunch. When you're on day shifts. When yeah. you're on nights. I and you're working patrol, home. the world is your urinal. Yeah. Man. Like, and I don't go home on nights. I never did because I didn't want to bother my wife. I usually didn't. I would come home for dinner, you know, at normal dinner time, or try to, which would be breakfast, essentially, for a night shift. Right. From 6 to 6. Uh, I would come home, eat dinner, tell my kids goodnight. If I was able to, I would time that out so that I came home at bedtime for the boys so I could put them to bed. We did a... Side note, we did a, I recorded an episode with the boys the other night and it got deep. Boys, (laughs) they went deep. They were talking about space dust and existentialism and stuff that like they went way. I'm like, what is this? The Joe Rogan podcast? What's going on here? Nice. So maybe weird movies you make them watch. Yeah. Well, that's my role as dad and a film buff. Oh, yeah. So eventually, someday, that might come out as a bonus episode. That'd be cool. going to be some heavy editing that needs to go into that. But it was it was pretty entertaining. Mostly, that's just to test out the gear and everything right. else. I see this is going to be a huge uh, digression on every question. Oh, yeah. That's, so Get used to being off on a tangent. Right. We'll, we'll, in the words of the new press secretary, we'll circle back. But, yeah. So not only respect, because that gets you a lot. A long way with a lot of different people. Right. But it's also just relax. It's not a race. This is a marathon. Right. If you run and run and run, especially your first three years, you're going to wear yourself out. Right. So just chill. We miss that traffic stop, but guess what? There's going to be eight more. Yeah. That was, that was advice given to me by... 
I can't say his name because his, his nickname is part of his last name, but there's <laughs> a, a legend in your agency that worked patrol for. Oh yeah. How many, God, I don't even know how many years. 30 since the 70s. Yeah. Started in 71 when he came back from Vietnam, went to work for the police department and he'd been there until just the last, what, five, six years that he About retired. Six years now. Yeah. Five, six years. Yeah. So he did an eternity, uh, you know, three generations worth of cops work, just work in patrol. And most of that, he tried to stay on night shifts. And he told me the same thing. I wanted an alarm call with him very early on in my career. And I called for somebody to come help me. All my other units were tied up. So they sent him to me. And uh, it's this big warehouse industrial building. The alarm was going off. I happened to hear it as I was driving by. So I jumped out and was Roger Ramjet trying to find out where the fence was broken or whatever, trying to get into this place. So he shows up. He's got one hand in his pocket, smoking a cigarette with the other. Why in such a hurry? And he told me the same thing. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Just <laughs> take your time. We'll get there. Yeah, that's sage advice that I've I've hung on to. I would say the same thing that um, no matter who you're dealing with and under what context, try to maintain. And you know, we all give that respect, treat those people like humans, but know when to turn that off. Know when it needs to be switched into something else and don't be afraid to do that it is what it is if you need to control the situation control the situation that's that's one thing that i've noticed is a sort of an apprehension to go to guns you know given today's political climate and the the viewpoint of police there's yeah seems like young rookies are more apprehensive to to use force like you're gonna be okay like you need to do what you do need to do to protect yourself and other people that are on that call with you. Don't let things get out of hand just because you're scared of getting a goldenrod in your file because you when they didn't need to. Hey, there's a lot of other people beside yourself, you know. Right. You got neighbors. You got somebody who's coming out early in the morning, start your truck to go to work that could get caught up in that. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's part of that's just my. You know, all my years of SRT and like being forced to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait has transferred to, you know, dealing with people on the street in a patrol role. Like, I'm not going to let this get out of hand. Like, if, if I get yelled at by the lieutenant later, so be it. Like, go ahead and chew my ass. I got plenty. It'll, I'll still have plenty left when you're done. Right. It's not the first time. Yeah, and they controlled the situation. Yeah. Yeah. I put a fight at Walmart. I put like four or five people on the ground at gunpoint. <laughs> everybody who was fighting, everybody on the ground. Yeah. And they did. And the lady was one of the bystanders like, he didn't. I'm like, hey, I'll sort this out here in a minute. Right now I'm here by myself. So everybody's going to lay on the ground until right. I get more people. Yep. Until we get this sorted out. Then I'll listen to what you have to say. <laughs> Just hold. Yeah. Yep. So just recently, in the last how many months? Two months? December. 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 Yep. So beginning December, you transferred from patrol to investigations. So mm-hmm. you're a detective now. Yes. And you're catching the same cases that I work, sex crimes, primarily, right? Yeah. And then whatever you get when you're on call, which yeah. is mostly seem, 
Seems I to guess be I would time. be person's crimes. Right. Which, when, and then, you know, whenever you're on call and whenever anybody else needs help, which is, seems to be <laughs> like all the time anymore. Yeah. I've, I have not had an 80 hour paycheck yet. Okay. It's been well over. Right. And that's, even, a, that's even without trying. Right. And that's normal. So your normal two week pay period is 80 hours. Yeah. So I, we're monthly in my agency. Right. So yeah, there's, Always a potential for overtime as a detective, and that's the best time. Like they say, nothing tastes better than a meal you eat on overtime. <laughs> First thing you do at 5 o'clock is get something to eat, take a break. <laughs> so um, with, let's go back. I got some notes here and some stuff that I wrote down. So I got a note to do some hot sheet stuff, which is basically um, weird crimes, police blotter stuff that I've been looking up. And I found an article from today. The headline, this is out of Spokane, Washington, says, out of jail at 10.08 p.m., a carjacking at 10.28 p.m. Police in Spokane say Marcus Goldman wasn't free long before returning to crime. So it gets into the article. says, this is not going to help recidivism stats in Spokane. Police in Washington City say a man committed a felony 20 minutes after his release from jail, reports the spokesman review. At 10.08 p.m. Saturday, 31-year-old Marcus Goldman was released from the Spokane County Jail after being arrested on an unspecified felony charge. That, like, did he bond out? Just, I have a lot of questions about this. At 10.08 p.m., yeah. So at 10.08 p.m., he's released from jail. At 10.28 p.m., police say Goodman carjacked a 16-year-old girl about a mile and a half from the jail per KXLY, local radio station. An officer spotted the car on the road about 1 a.m. Goodman was soon back in custody and back to the same jail on a charge of second-degree robbery. <laughs> the young victim identified Goodman as her assailant. She said her carjacker told her he had a gun before taking her car, though no weapon was actually displayed. That's the whole article. Like, that happens, not necessarily carjackings, but we have a large population of homeless people that are constantly intoxicated and going to jail for public intox. Now, granted, that was... Probably pre-COVID, that happened a lot more than it does now. I This when we first started. We had an inmate that we let out, and I don't even think it was less than an hour and a half later. He made it to the bottom of the hill from where the jail was. There's yep. a liquor store. Yep. Bought booze, and it was right back in jail in like an hour and a half later. <laughs> like, how do you even, How do you even input enough? Especially when you just get out, you know, right. you know, he didn't have any money because he was his books were in the negative. Right when he came to jail, how did he get enough money to find himself a bottle and drink it quick enough to get that know, drunk? They and have get a secret again? to panhandling. I don't know, so man. They have a gift. Like, I mean, how much do you have to beg to get a half gallon of Red Cap? Um, seven dollars. No, a half gallon? I think they're like 13, 14 bucks. Right, so you're in a fifth, but I mean. But a, yeah, like a pint, you're probably getting it for four or five bucks. Yeah. But. How fast can you put down one or two pints? <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. It's like, we just released this guy. We right. haven't even broke his folder down yet. So. His clothes are still warm. <laughs> oh. That happens probably going to that story along the lines of what we're talking about with public intox and everything like that, that happens way more than most departments would probably want to admit. I'm sure. Yeah. I know it happens here, but it rarely gets reported um, to the press like that. 
Like, hey, dude got out at noon and he's back by shift change at six. It blows my mind. Is somebody who gets paroled from prison. Yeah. And they make it less than a week. Yeah. Before they're right back in the jail with another whole new charge on top of what they're on parole for. Yeah. That's, we've got a halfway house in the county's jurisdiction that people get sentenced there from DOC or Bureau of Prisons. So that's Department of Corrections, if you don't know. I need to start breaking down some of these acronyms because of people who are non-cops that are going to listen to this may be a little lost. But people will get sentenced there. They'll get they'll show up at this halfway house. They'll Within a week, they'll have a cell phone. And then they'll be absconding from the program within a month. And then it takes us however long to find them again. And they just let them walk right out the door. No, you're good. Go ahead. Work release. Sure. That's where you're going. Walmart. Yep. Okay. Put them on the bus and away they are. Yeah. Never come back. Yep. Yeah. A lot of times they'll get sentenced from out of state, which I just, I don't understand if they don't have facilities like that where they're at. It's probably money. Probably. Probably. Um. So another thing that I have notes to do, we talked about hot sheets and save sage advice. So let's talk a bit about gear. I'm going to ask everybody who comes on the show, specifically, you know, law enforcement, fire, military, whoever they are, if there's, tell me about a couple pieces of gear that you use that are game-changing equipment. Like when you got that piece of gear, I don't care if it's a pen a flashlight, like whatever it is. So multi-tool. Okay. I've been carrying a multi-tool since I started. Bought a single mag pouch, put it on my belt, put my multi-tool in there. People always ask, what's that? What's my multi-tool? What are you carrying multi-tool for? I guess just, you just wait. And I swear to God, if not in the next 20 minutes, the next day, hey man, you got your multi-tool? Can I use it? <laughs> yeah. I still carry. I carry it on my vest now. Okay. But I always I've used that thing more than I've ever used a pocket knife. Okay. Yeah, I never carried one, but I know many times where I have been like, Oh man, I just need a pair of pliers or a screwdriver yeah. or whatever. When I worked in the jail it had enough it had enough tools on there, I didn't have to get the security screwdriver. Okay. I could open like the water closet and shut water off in an emergency. Right. Tighten up something. Oh, this bolt's loose. I tighten something up. Right. I use I I use it a lot. I use my multi tool probably more than I've ever used anything else on my belt. Mm. Besides handcuffs. I'm trying to I've I've been thinking about since I came up with the idea to talk with people about it. I've been racking my brain trying to think of okay, what's like one piece of gear that has changed the way like my comfort level or made my job so much easier and that hands down is the max dry vest. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was easily the best like $80 I've ever spent on a piece of gear ever, especially when we transitioned over to exterior vests, exterior carrier vests, outer carriers. And then during the summertime I would wear that. Like I wore it. I had to work patrol over 4th of July last summer and I wore that underneath my vest between my vest and my shirt. And I was out cruising around on the razor and on the boat. And man, it was like heaven because it just blows all that hot air right out of your vest. 
It's Max Dry. So make sure you look that up. Max Dry with two X's. <laughs> I think they sell they sell it on. I bought mine off Amazon, but you can buy them direct. And I can't remember. I oh. can't remember the name of the company, but I loaned. I've loaned it out to probably no less than a dozen people. And immediately after they wore it for the first day, they bought their own. Yeah, I'm always stubborn. There's stuff that should probably improve my longevity. And I'm like, mm, nah, I'd rather just go home and peel off the sweatiest <laughs> shirt I've ever worn. Because our uniforms are different. So Yeah, you guys wear dark colored uniforms. Yeah, so on a nice July day, I'll yeah. go home and my shirt, my, you know, even though it's wicking, it's soaked. Right. And you guys don't get to wear hats. It blows yeah. my, like. We have hats. You have hats, but you can only wear them for special occasions. Yeah. Yes. Which I have struggled with and struggled with. Like, man, especially the bald dudes are oh, out yeah. there. Like, just how much do you spend on sunscreen? Right. And uh, yeah. So, yeah. In the summer, it's my morning routine. I get dressed and I lather sunscreen and na- uh, face, neck, ears. Yeah. And I use a lot of sunscreen just because I got the ginge, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, then they go and they spend all this money to get us nice fitted hats with our logo. I even took mine and have my number broidered on the side. Yeah. I've worn it like twice. You got to well, you didn't wear it during the eclipse because you're on the bike. I was, yeah, and that was I kind of got hosed on that deal. I was hoping for a better detail. All right now, I had that was fun. We the bicycle team for those days we put over 520 miles on our bikes and over how many days. I think it was like four days I rode that bike. Right. That first day was rough. I hadn't ridden a bike for months. And I did like <laughs> 12 and a half hours. Oh, man. I know. I remember talking to you at a couple points, like when I had made it back downtown to switch out with people because I had different folks riding with me throughout that. We were doubled up for two-man units. I remember talking to you, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to ride like all the way down to the ball fields from downtown and then back because there was a concert going on, mm-hmm. and you were like, I'm going down to the concert, go check it out. It was a Pink Floyd laser concert. Yeah. Like a cover band. Yeah. I and didn't I'd, make it. I didn't get to go. But no, because by the time that thing kicked off about 10 at night, I'd already been riding a bike for 12 hours, and I just didn't have it. And was like, well, I'm not making that concert. That's like a two-mile bike ride that I just didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, like, I don't know if I ever asked, did you volunteer for that, or were you voluntold? No, I'm on the bicycle patrol team. Okay. So we're, I think we're sadly, we're very underused. Right. And so that was just one of the times when we got to use like bike patrols going to do this. Okay. Okay. I was upset because we had a, for SRT, the special response team, basically our version of SWAT, we had a quick response force of like, I think it was four or five guys. And all they did was just like cruise around town and raise hell with, people from and it was nobody from out of state we had 15,000 people crowd into our our jurisdiction in the course of 24 hours to see the eclipse in 2017 and none of the people from out of state were the people that were causing problems it was all the locals yeah no everybody I dealt with lived here everybody I talked to was from out of state I don't think I talked to anyone I never so that whole time I have no idea what happened outside of downtown right that whole downtown area over to the ball fields all the parking i never made it out of this uh you want to call it like maybe a three four square mile area that we rode our bike in yeah i have no idea 
what the rest of the looked like the rest. Of, I have no idea how busy it was. I yeah. have no idea. Like, was this street packed the whole time? Yeah. Couldn't tell you. I have no idea what the rest of the city looked like. They, the planning that went into that started years before that. And the, I mean, the radio plan and everything, they had all the radio channels segre- separated so that people that, da- that were downtown had their own channels. Us county guys that were, you know, out in the middle of nowhere dealing with all the people that were, trying to get out of town but still view the eclipse we had our own channel so we were we weren't hearing everything that was going on downtown i was trying to listen but there was just so much traffic it was crazy it actually went off you want to say it went off without a hitch i we did yeah. not have anything major happen mm-hmm. like what we dealt with mostly people got too drunk and yeah. the option was you can get a cab and go home you can get a ride and go home right you can go to jail mm-hmm. we prefer you to take a cab I think more than anything, it was traffic when people were leaving, like there's a interstate highway that runs through our jurisdiction and the traffic on the way out of town was so jammed up that people that had rented cars from one state away where there's a major international airport, like they ended up just leaving their rental cars on the side of the road. I'm like, well, I'm going to be late and I'm going to miss my flight. So I'm jammed up in traffic. I'm just going to leave my car there on the side of the road. I heard, I was hearing that from state trooper traffic, you know, three counties away. Yeah. Well, it normally is a four hour trip. I know it took a family member between seven and eight hours yep. to make. Yeah. I have a, a brother that lives about 170 miles away that direction. And he didn't make it home and think until two o'clock that night. Oh, wow. Something like that. It's crazy. Yeah. And he, he had detoured and got off the interstate and gone down state highways, like trying to subvert the traffic and still got just as jammed up because he came up for one day for the eclipse and then turned like a turn and burn trip. And he got, didn't get home until early the next morning, which just, that was crazy. Well, I think in a situation like that, you just book an extra night. Yeah. Yeah, and all the hotels, I mean, they were price gouging on the hotels, and, like, uh, it's just crazy. So we were out all these campground areas, and basically people were able to get permission from the county commissioners to rent out their property for people to come park their campers. So that was our job. My job for the day was to go to all these different places and try to count as many people. Like, no shit, that's what they told me. Go out there and just try to count as many people as you can. Like, are you kidding me? 15, like our population, you know, went up by a quarter for the entire county. And you want me to go count these people? Like, there's no way. There's no way. Like, no. I'm just going to go out and have fun. All right. And talk to as many people as I can and just make my presence known. And then I wound up with, and I'm going to try to get on the show eventually. And we wound up out in, <laughs> we wound up at this little, wide spot in the road jurisdiction where we've got a troublemaker out there that's lived there his whole life. Oh, cause it used to be a, it used to be a town. Yeah. It used to be a town. There's like still an old, old general store slash post office type. Yeah. And building when there. we used to go that direction, when I was little, like in the eighties, you could stop there. Yeah. And it was a convenience store. Okay. So yeah, I used to be able to stop there and, and gas uh, pumps and everything. Yeah, gas pumps and get a soda or bag of chips. Yeah. Because believe it or not, that stretch of road in my county, well, it runs for, well, from mile marker 10, essentially, 
to mile marker 67 and there's nothing in between there. And that goes for another 30 miles. Keep going in that direction until you hit the next town that has a gas station. So you can drive 98 miles and not see anything except for, you know, a handful of other cars on the road. So it's out there in that direction. And we wound up out there dealing with him and a property dispute and people were threatened into fight each other and throwing rocks at each other on the county <laughs> road. So we wound up out there right during the eclipse out in the middle of nowhere. And it was one of the craziest things I've ever seen because like the night birds came out, the deer came out, you know, cause it was July. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was July, you know, middle of the summer hot and the temperature dropped probably 20 degrees in the matter of totality is what three and a half minutes. Yeah. Something like that. And, uh, it was eerie because all, I mean, all the animals that usually come out at sunset were like, Oh, okay. So they get up and they're all coming out and moving around and then it's back to full daylight again within three minutes and they're standing around looking confused. <laughs> but my my memory of the of the eclipse will forever be sullied by my that call and having to <laughs> Did deal you with just yell time out to everybody? <laughs> Look. <laughs> no, it, we were in between um basically on the backside of the mountain there between the highway and the backside of the mountain when when totality happened. So we just stopped on the side of the road and I've got a picture somewhere that I'll, I'll dig up, maybe post it on the page, but yeah. And then we had to go right back to dealing with this call and that guy that we've all dealt with every, every sheriff's deputy that's been employed by our office in the last 15 years has dealt with this guy at some level. He's the first was, person to put handcuffs on. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know you're talking about. Yeah. So, First person ever put handcuffs on. Nice. He, um, I remember one time, first time I ever dealt with him personally, he was, it was over on the new side of the jail and they had, uh, basically inmates would get up on their sink and they would talk through the vent. Like, so they'd be able to talk to the other three cells connected to theirs through the, through the, through the pipe chase. And he's standing up on there and he's got his socks on. And I remember walking by and telling him, I was like, hey, man, if you're going to do that, take your socks off so that you don't slip and fall. And he's like, no, oh, man, I'm good. So I'm walking by. We're feeding Fum. dinner, and I hear, like, bong. So he falls off. He slips and falls off. And there's that little metal stool, a little round metal stool that's, like, welded into the wall. And he landed right on that, right with his back. So he's laying on the floor, rolling around, like, oh, I broke my fucking back. Oh. So I call the nurse. Get the nurse up there. They end up taking to the ER to get evaluated. And it's like, dumbass, I told you to take your socks off. Yeah. I hope he listens to this and then runs into me on the street. Of course, he's in prison again. Or should be for a good long while after the last time. But any, I'm sure all of our friends will listen to this and know exactly who we're talking it's about. It's going to be like his third time, I would imagine. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. He got, he got jammed up for some firearms violations here in the last couple of years so yeah it's hard to you know people say something like did you hear about him and i'm like oh, i had no idea yeah. i can't keep up with all these people yeah and i so i get in like in our daily paperwork that we get we get all the bookends so when they keep coming back and getting arrested again I'm, i see those like oh so-and-so's back like hey. oh look they're looking a little more great so it's been 15 years you know so that's funny so 
on my last deployment, you know, I had the internet. So one of the things I would do every day was I would just open up my iPad and turn on, I open up the work email. Oh, only, right. thing I, <laughs> only thing I cared about is like the daily report and the the daily bookends just to see like that's right. the only thing I care. Everything else I would delete because it doesn't matter. It doesn't pertain to me anyways. Right. If sure. it does pertain to me, they'll tell me when I get back. But no, I read twice a day what happened each shift and every morning I would look at the uh, bookend photos just to... <laughs> That was it. Like, oh, geez. oh, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, oh. Wow, that's a good catch. Wow. Ooh. Yep. Yep. I do remember that. Um, I I didn't get any of that, that deployment. We went in 2009. No, I don't think they had was, that stuff set up yet. Did I they? was still working at the jail at that point. I hadn't even transitioned out to patrol. The only email, because I'd check it probably once a month just because I knew that people were, they could send me emails just to stay in touch. Right. Cause I hadn't given them, you know, any other email or anything to get a hold of me. And that was the first time that we ever got a bonus that I remember. Cause I saw the email and was like, what? I got a bonus. Like I'm not even at work and right. I got paid. All right. I'll take that. So I always joke that I have to, cause my agency, you have to work 21 years. Our first year is, well, when I started, when yeah. we started there, your first year was free. You didn't get right. retirement. That's why credit. I don't actually have five years to go. Right. We didn't get retirement credit for our first year because you were on probation, so you couldn't contribute to your retirement. And now they've changed that, which I think is bullshit, but whatever. It would help us. Good, good, good for them. Yeah, I right. took that year, but I always joke that I have to work. I get 21 years on the books, but I only had to work 20 because by that time, you know, because that year on deployment where – they, our office actually ended up paying in to our retirement for us that year. In 2009? Yeah. They did. Yeah. Did we have to match though? Oh, okay. So that's what I learned. Okay. That I did not look into that. Okay. I thought naively that it was just going to be taken care of. Right. So far as I know is that even though they put their half in, we probably needed to contribute our half. Oh, okay. Which I put a lot of effort into this deployment. I had paperwork and I had made contacts before I left. So I knew when I got back, sure. I knew what to do. Yeah. Cause I didn't want to have three unpaid years of retirement. Right. And that's, that's huge advice that, you know, when you, when you start with law enforcement, you're not thinking about retirement. You're not thinking about the end goal and like how to prioritize Make, make your best money out of what you've got. And after a couple of years, once I transitioned on patrol, I got sat down by uh, one of the investigators that I basically did my shadow time on FTO with him on my, during my field training. And he sat me down and was like, first conversation we had, he was like, what are you doing about your retirement? Like, are you on deferred comp? It's like, what are you talking? Right. Like, I don't, you're speaking French, you know, like, I don't understand what you're saying. And so he was like, you have to get money in your deferred comp. You have to do X, Y, Z with your retirement so that you don't have to do this for 25 right. years. And plus you'll have more. Right. And at the time I was like, well, I don't understand. And then after about, oh, I don't know, 10 years, um, I got to the point where we weren't getting any big raises, but we'd every so often get a cost of living allowance. And so I would take that, however much that worked out to a month, 
and I just dump it straight into my return or deferred comp. And I've been doing that for like the last, I don't know, 10 years, pretty much every, I've been making pretty much the same amount of money on my paycheck since then. So anytime we get a, a cost of living allowance, I just dump that extra money in my deferred comp. Yeah. Those are things I had the same thing. I didn't, I had one of our deputy friends first paycheck had that set up. Yep. And he was like, this is going to pay 20 years with both retirements, the deferred, this is like a projection. And I was like, Oh, still not smart enough to go get the paperwork. So <laughs> right. I didn't start that. <laughs> I didn't start deferred column to like five years ago. So yeah. I'm going to have a little tiny chunk just cause I was dumb and didn't, you know, and basically at that time, somebody needed to put that paper in front of my face that said, sign this. Right. I think that should be something everybody does. Well, you know, coming, coming from the military world, you know, I got SGLI like, right. Especially when we, when we got deployed in the, during the GWAT days, the global war on terror, like, here you go. Here's your $400,000. Like no questions asked SGLI. Right. Just all you got to do is sign here. Then you could pay a little bit extra and get an extra 250,000. Yeah. And I went with the 400 grand. Cause at the time I was married or I was single, no kids. Right. You know, so it was like, my mom's going to love that. (laughs) (laughs) She was my beneficiary, but that changed after my second deployment, I was married and had a kid on the way, but like it did, none of that mattered to me. It wasn't important. It was very similar when I started at the sheriff's office a year, you know, two years later when I was 22, like I would have never thought to put the time into that much foresight into it to try to make myself that money. And now it's like, how much more money can I put in there and get right. away with and still still pay all the bills and have money to play around with? So Well, that was the same thing with TSP through the military. Oh, yeah. I still have, I have never taken my money out of the TSP, the thrift savings plan. I've never taken it out of there. It's been in there. Every 8% of every dollar I ever made in the United States Army, the National Guard, went into the TSP and it's still there. Because so, I forget about it. It just sits there. And it's not like it's just compounding interest. It's right. not. I'm not putting any more money in there. I stopped contributing in 2010, but it just compounds interest, and I forget about it until I get the statement every year. And I'm like, oh yeah, I should do something about yeah. that. <laughs> and just leave it there. Well, I think there's like, I think I've got close to twelve thousand dollars just sitting there that I'm like, oh yeah, I need to do something with that. Well, similar thing in 2000. I didn't start that. We have. They'll tell you TSP, TSP, and you're like, okay, I don't. Okay. Where they should just make you do it. Yeah. They should sit you young soldiers down in front of a computer and say, log in, put 7%, yeah. put 8%. 7 is good. Yeah. Now don't touch it. Yep. Because I didn't start until 2009. Oh, So I'm only okay. going to have, what, 11, 12 years of this? Yeah. So, so I, got, I got two deployments worth of, you know, combat pay, yeah. tax-free, BAH, BAS. I would have, I have two. Well, maybe one and a half. So right. one night we were working in, on second deployment, and one of my guys that was with me, he's like, we were talking, he's like, do you do TSP? I'm like, no, no. He's like, open up your MyPay. <laughs> he made me do it. He's right. like, there, now you're good. And then a couple of years ago, I actually took in my deferred and my TSP and my state retirement and I went to my financial advisor and right. I logged into each account and he had me adjust. He's like, you're getting nothing but minimum here, here and here. Yeah. Adjust this one here, just this one. So hopefully by those adjustments, cause I didn't know I'll make 
more. Yeah. Hopefully it'll help fill in that gap of the sure. 10 years that I didn't contribute because I was smart enough to say, Hey, how should I do this? And he right. was like, you're making the minimum off everything. You need to adjust these up or you're going to make nothing. Yeah. So. That's, I guess, add that to your sage advice for anybody new to this game. Take care of your retirement, get a good financial advisor, make money off your money. Yeah. And so that you don't have to do this for, if there's people, more power to them that want to stay 40 years in law enforcement, but not me, man. Like, as soon as the time comes when I've said it, I don't know how many times, when I hit 21 years in a day, if I don't like work that day, it's my last one. Well, I want to be able to <clears throat> retire and walk away because or I, I want to be able to stay longer after 20 because I want to, not because I have to. Right. Right. Because, I mean, now, like... Your world's changed because you got grandkids now. Yeah, you know, like that's, and I'm, I'm hopefully a ways off from that. I <laughs> <laughs> have some time before that becomes a thing for me. But you know, I I don't want to do that. I I love my job. I love being able to contribute and do something good for people and help. But like anything else, and especially in our line of work, the weight of it has has gotten to a point where I'm not like, okay, I'll finish out my time. I'm not going to leave early. I'll do my 20 years, but it's going to be a hard decision at that point if I want to keep going. And that's, that's just today, this week, me saying that, you know, five years from now might be something completely different. It's, it's so hard to say, especially the climate in today's world with law enforcement. It's, I've never seen it. I would say at a, at a lower spot for perception of law enforcement true and that's that's a big part of that is 2020 and covid and the huge riot reaction and anti-police sentiment that's just rocked the country you know it'd help is if the 30 second videos you see on social media actually showed you the two minutes prior (laughs) to that 30 second clip yeah i would agree with that that even if it's good bad or indifferent yeah we should all see what happened to get to that point. And if that means that cops who were there were assholes and they remained assholes through the whole time, fine. Right. But if they weren't for the first two minutes and the only thing you get for the, it's the last 30 seconds of that video, when somebody gets taken down, it's kind of unfair. Right. And I say it all the time when I'm interviewing people on, on cases that I work, that context is everything without anything taken out of context is I mean, what is it? It's it's just a snapshot. But if you're able to get the full picture, then that it ties everything together. So when I things get reported to me, and that's how I explain it to people, um, things get reported to me, and it's just a fraction of it. Like X did so and so to so and so, without context of well, what else happened, what led up to that, what happened after, has this happened before, things like that. Without context, it doesn't mean shit. So. No, because it could turn out that the person making the complaint actually started the whole problem. Oh, yeah. That you only. Oh, man. I don't know. Or I always tell people, it's I, I wouldn't be in my line of work if I didn't automatically believe everybody that came to me and reported something. I shouldn't be doing my job, especially as a sex crimes investigator for the most part. Um, I should not be doing what I'm doing if I don't automatically believe people when they come in and report something. But if I find out through the course of 
asking all these questions and working the case that you're lying to me and you made this up, it's not going to go well for you. Like it's that nothing makes me more upset at about legitimate people that report being a victim of a sex assault when someone comes in and makes it up out of spite or whatever. And I figure that out, man, that makes me so mad. A lot, a lot of times there's not much we can do about it. No, but it's such a waste of time and resources and the, the, the side effects are left over what you have at the end on the person who's actually innocent. Yeah. I feel that that kind of I feel bad for that. Like that's unfair for that person. This person yeah. went through a lot. He went. Th- we put him through the ringer, or her, or her, and or the news and the newspaper. And in the end, it turns out to not be true. Right. And that person's got to be like, "Hey, none of that was true, but now it stuck with me." Yeah. And I've been so I've been working these types of cases almost specifically for going on three years now. And I always say that it's like 90%, 10%. 90% of your cases, you're just going to struggle the whole time, either with family or details of the case or not having enough evidence in the DA's office, wherever doesn't want to help you out on the case and don't think that you have what you need. And it's just struggle after struggle after struggle, probably nine cases to everyone. But that one case that you get that's righteous and legit, and you get good evidence, and you get a conviction and a confession, like those cases make everything else worth it. So I always hang on, like no matter what. Like I don't count them, but I just think in the back of my head, well, that's, you know, seven of nine. Right. The good one's coming. It's going to be there, and I'm going to be able to get them. So well, you got you to gotta go into every one of them the same. Yep. Same. In the, in the hopes that it's the 10% yeah. that's, that's a good case. It's, it's a struggle. But somebody's got to do it, and when they work out well, and it's you get good at them after a while. You got to want to work these types of cases. I, I was kind of thrust into it, knowing that I was going to be working these cases. But I'm okay with it. I'm happy with saddling that. So, yeah, and it's, it's and you're just getting into it. I am, but I think it's going to be a good fit, and I'm pretty sure they picked me for that for a reason. So. Right. We'll see. Yeah. And then on top of that with, like, do you guys, you guys don't do your background investigations, right? Some of us do. Okay. I've actually done two. Okay. When I was on patrol. Okay. They had so many people that I had been through the class and I was like, well, I've never done one. Right. I can help. So I got like pretty much two layups. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so here's no traveling for you and there's right. like not a lot of work for these two one was good one was bad right and that's um like i have noticed specifically with our two agencies and it's not it's not specifically our two agencies i can't say that not every other agency is like this but we all seem to wear a lot of hats oh definitely yeah because i've got no less than a dozen different jobs that I'm doing at any one given time and have to drop one thing to do another. So, and that seems, you know, the days when I worked at the jail and all I had to worry about was getting one inmate to another or handing out dinner or handing out meds or whatever it was. 
and I used to complain like, man, like I want so much more out of my career. Like <laughs> I'm doing nothing right now. Like so many days, many days, I would appreciate that break to just go back. And I did what back in, I think it was 2018, 17, 18 in that time frame when I was back on patrol, we were so short staffed at the jail from turnover and people leaving and retiring that patrol people were backfilling shifts for OT on at the jail. So I went back, like I hadn't worked a shift at the jail since 2011. And I went back and worked two night shifts at the jail and I had more fun just going back and working the floor at the jail. It was like, don't put me in booking. Don't put me in the tower and have to run the phone and the computer. I'll just work the floor. I'll just go work the floor and push inmates and hand out meds and do walkthroughs. Like, I'm all for it. And I had so much fun. And that was right after I came back from working my time at Dope. So I'm doing a walkthrough in one of the pods in one of our frequent flyer females. is like she sees my name tag because I'm walking through there by myself. And some of them recognize me just from dealing with me over the last several years. But most of them are like, what's with the rookie? Why is he by himself? You know, and then they're looking at my uniform and they're looking at my gear and they're like, he looks different. <laughs> like, <laughs> What are those stripes on his arm? They're like, yeah, they're like, what's that pin? I'm like, that's SRT, you know, because I'm wearing my uniform. Right. So I got my SRT pin, which I wish I could still wear just on my day-to-day stuff, you know. I've, that's a huge, I take huge pride in that. So I'm walking through there. She sees my name tag and she's like, wait a minute, you work dope. I've seen your name on people's paperwork. You're special agent. I'm like, you're right. I am. I'm here for you. <laughs> <laughs> Just messing with her. Like, yeah, yeah. She's like, why are you in uniform? I was like, you don't work for the sheriff's office. Like, oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> like, it was, I just had so much fun fucking with inmates and having a good time. I know. And you used to come home after working a day, especially day shift. It's fast paced. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, my God, my day was so stressful. Yeah. I would love to have that level of stress. Yeah. And I tell just laugh at it now. <laughs> just laugh at it. I always tell one of the first things, like when I'm doing an an interview with somebody new at the jail, and they're like, Do you have any pointers? Like comfortable footwear. Oh yeah. Like make sure you read the policy. You know what it says about what's in regulation that you can wear. I would highly recommend you go to Walmart, you get a pair of the Dr. Scholl's like <laughs> gel insole shoes that like cooks and wait staff wear because they are like comfortable footwear walking on concrete for 12, 13 hours a day on day shifts, like from without a chance to sit down, you know, maybe you get to sit down and eat lunch at some point, but for the most part you're running all day long. Like back in the day when we worked there anyway, I can speak to that. I can't say now, but comfortable footwear the max dry vest. <laughs> a good book. A good book. Yeah, when you're on nights. We're nights at the jail, I read a lot of books. I read a lot. I read a ton I of books. I mean, we're sitting here in my basement. I've got probably two-thirds of my book collection over here, and some of which I've loaned out to people. And that's why I don't loan out books anymore. Oh, no, you never give shit back. Yeah, people never give shit back, ever. So that being said, let's talk distractions. What... I mean, we've all got different distractions and stuff that we, we do on our off time, stuff that, like, when you need to decompress, you don't want to think a deal about with stuff that you dealt with on a case that day. What's your, like, 
probably your favorite distraction. I don't know. I say at this point in my life, I'm so boring. I, uh, what do I do? I, I don't think you count this year because you can't really do anything yeah. that would, other than sitting at home watching a movie. Sure. But there's not, you know, no going out. I, we need to go camping last summer. Yeah, we did. We did our, we did a big trip. I did not. Yeah, you did. You did a backpack trip with us. Oh, okay. So I had one. You're right. I meant camping, camping, like oh, the camper like and stuff. Camper no, camping. I, we went on that epic hike. Oh my God. That was really, there's two times since I've been home since March during COVID that I went out and did something. Other than that, sure. it was a wasted year. But. Yeah. And that was honestly just to sidetrack a little bit, talking about that backpack trip, we did 27 miles and three, 28 miles in three days. Mm. And there was me, you, uh, another friend of ours, um, a guard buddy, and he's a cousin to me, his wife, and then your daughter came along, mm-hmm. the five of us, and we did this epic backpack trip up in, we live in the Mountain West. Um, it's an area close by with extremely rugged mountain terrain, and that was some of the hardest I have ever worked physically in my life. <laughs> and you guys had you know several trips like short trips and day hikes before that like kind of getting in shape and training for it and i just jumped in with like i had i probably had the heaviest pack i was carrying the most water because like i didn't realize that we were going to have so much water right accessible to us so i was long hauling like four or five liters of water <laughs> you know for the first day and the first day was i won't say the first day was the worst day the second day we we covered, two I don't passes. know, two passes at somewhere around, what, 2,000 vertical feet on each one of them, something yeah, like I that. I have the uh, graph. So it was I, brutal. It was rough, man. And then you, like, your poor feet, man, you were just hammered after that second, or the fir- was it the first day or the uh, second the day? The second day when we came down from the top, the first pass when we came down, just going downhill just tore my feet up. Yeah. So this this portion of that we hiked is on the the Continental Divide Trail, and it's like one of the most rugged chunks of trail on the entire CDT. Doing my research later and finding that out, like we just I jumped into it. it was like, yeah, sure, sounds like a great time. <laughs> Three days backpacking. I haven't gone backpacking since I was a kid, you know. But I remember very fondly like climbing up that pass with my pack on, and I'm like, man, if you'd have told 19 year old me in basic training, carrying a 40-pound ruck, you know, on a 10-mile road march, hating my life and wanting to just lay down and die, that I would be out doing that for fun, <laughs> you know, 15 years later, you know, 16, 17 years later, as a what I consider to be an old man, I would have thought you were crazy. Yeah, he puts together some good hikes. Yeah, yeah, he, our, our friend, and we'll, we'll probably have Sean on the show at some time. Yeah, he puts together those good hikes. Some of those... Uh, same as you yeah i just like first well when are we going june well <laughs> uh, i'm not gonna i'll just go right right and it was such a fluke that i even got to go because usually that's uh a time of year that's the busiest for my office and we're always working and doing something and i've got extra duties and i'm assigned to work patrol in a uniform capacity but last year with covid all of that got shut down 
So I was able to go on that trip because I remember at one point I was like, I can't go. I won't be able to because it's in July and July is like, it's always off. Nobody on operations division gets any vacation time. Generally speaking, some people do. They manage to manage to figure that out. But last year was like, well, if we're not doing all these extra duties and I'm going to go on this trip and I'm taking the time off and I had more fun and I'm looking forward to whatever trip he comes up with next year. He has one. I just got to figure out. Might be Tetons. I can't remember. He sent it out to us. Yeah. I got I need to go pull it up so I can put that in for vacation because I don't think it hits during car duty weekend. Oh, He's yeah. pretty good about asking me what my schedule is for right. that. Then I can, then he works around it. Right. So there's a... Because you guys did Zion. Mm-hmm. You did Grand Canyon. Yeah. And that was... Was Grand Canyon the year before? Um... Grand Canyon would be, and Zion would have been before my deployment. I think Grand Canyon was 2017. Okay. And that was a really evening. That was that was just hike down, I think, Angel Head Trail, spend the night, and hike back up. Okay. But that hike back up, I think, is a little over like, it's like 3,000 to 3,600 feet of just straight up. <laughs> and coming down Twosboro, it's all downhill, and you have your pack on. Right. And like you, I, I don't know why my pack's always the heaviest. Right. I don't know where the disconnect is in my thought where like I try to pack light. I have a great packing list after doing these hikes. Right. It's still fucking heavy, dude. <laughs> well. It's ridiculous. This, this trip we did this summer uh, up in the Wind River, like both of us brought guns because we've been carrying them every day. Well, for, and it's bear country. Yeah, it is bear country. And that was my thought. But. I'm always more worried about two-legged critters than four-legged critters. So, of right. course, me and you were like, okay, we'll bring, like, the smallest gun we have that's still effective to maybe, you know, sort of injure a bear. So, I think we were both carrying 40, you know, baby yeah. glocks. And everybody else had bear spray. And after, like, the first three miles, I was like, fuck this gun. This was the worst <laughs> idea because I had it in a fanny pack. Right. And it was just hanging on my, you know, off the front and just creating so much more pressure on my bladder and my <laughs> my stomach from my pack. Like, this was fucking dumb. So I put it in the flat top flap of my pack after that. I was like, well, hopefully I don't need to get to it on the quick. Yeah. Did you get a chair? A chair. Yeah, we all, we all oh, busted yes. all the camping yeah. chairs. So I mean, there are some else. things I'm not going to go without. But that chair weighs less than an empty coffee cup. Yeah, it's, those little ultralight, yeah. you know, three-legged chairs. Yeah, no, I have not bought one, but I will have one before the next trip. I can say that because I'm sitting on the ground like, and then I kept after about the first couple miles, I'm like, man, we haven't seen any critters and there wasn't that much traffic on the trail. Mm -mm. And then we got up about another five miles and I figured out that the bugs were so fucking bad up there that, oh, there's a reason it was like, we wouldn't have to worry about bears. There's a bear stupid enough to be in that area. Just like getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. It was so bad. Oh, that first night was the worst. Oh, it was so bad. I have pictures that I took of, like, when we got home two days later, like, completely welted from head to toe. looked like I had mumps. Yeah, my daughter was wearing just, like, leggings, and they were eating through her leggings. Yeah, she was, oh, man. She was, we were all hurting, but she, I think she got the brunt of it. Probably did. Because she was wearing, like, yoga pants. Yeah. Just, like, they're so tight. Like, oh, man, I felt so bad. Yeah. But... I did take that compliment how she doesn't complain. 
Yeah. And that's Jesus what, trooper and through and not a complaint on any of our hikes. We went to yeah. Bomber Mountain. So she's been on th- three of the four big hikes. Right. And I told, I told, I remember complaint. telling her, because that's probably, I've only met her a handful of times before that, just like special functions or whatever, birthdays and stuff like that with you guys. And I told her, I was like, man, like, you're welcome on my crew any day because, <laughs> like, she didn't didn't complain or bitch and moan. I mean, any more than the rest of us did. But I was like, man, you are a fucking trooper. I was proud of her. She ain't even my kid. And it was right. Like, it's nice. I just, like, sitting there like, I. it's not the first time I told him, you know, I told Sean, I'm like, not a complaint. You yeah. notice that? Like, I never know, like, Guess I never noticed as a little kid. Not all complaints from them, but we're doing this brutal hike, right? Going up, you can go to Bomber Mountain, depending on which way you go. It's like taking a Hobbit trail, right? It, but not a word compared to. I mean, if you compared her to a peer, someone else her age, you know, it would they wouldn't even be able to hang. So no. I credit to you. Like if you're listening, because I know you will at some point. Like I'm not going to mention you by name, but you kicked ass on that trip, and I'm proud of you. Oh, yeah. So, all right. Well. Anything else we got to close up Man, with? let me check. Let me check my notes. We some got non-sorrow we, Phil we story. Have been, we have been off on some freaking tangents. I know it's great. Um, I'm I'm pretty, I'm very happy sitting here. This is something. Oh, the, the baton story. I didn't tell oh, the baton okay. story. Okay, well, we'll end with that. That's pretty okay. good. So, going back, we talked about um, me and Shannon went through Peace Officer Basic Training together. And the other day, I was cruising around on Instagram because I follow about a million other cop meme pages. And I saw this meme from poorly made police memes talking about uh, when you accidentally hit your partner with your baton during training and you're trying to hide it from the instructor. And like, you know, it's like the brother covering his, his little brother's bloody nose. Like, it's okay, you can hit me back. So <laughs> we got into combatives and baton training um most everybody had collapsible batons and they would line us all up in our whole class i think we had 30 people in our class yeah they'd line us all up in the gym and they'd spread you out at a certain distance so you weren't going to hit each other and they were running us through all these baton drills with our expandable batons with our asps and i have the little little shorts ultralight like 18 19 inch aluminum bastard and so they're okay, we want you to, you know, do these movements to expand your baton. And they got us all lined up in straight lines, and Shannon's off to my left because we're always together fucking around and getting into trouble. (laughs) And I go to expand my baton, so basically I come with an outside swing towards the inside of my body, and it expands, and as it does it, it shoots out of my fucking hand like a rocket, and it's just flying straight, but it's expanded. And the ballpoint of that baton at like 9,000 miles an hour hit Shannon right on the tip of his elbow. On my right elbow, yeah. <laughs> his right elbow. And I thought I'd like, you would have thought he got shot because he just fell down on the ground. <laughs> and he was laughing, but it was. It was painful, <laughs> but also hit me in the funny boat. And I put it together real quick what happened. Because. Because so I'm at, 10 feet away. Yeah, so after you threw it, I'm doing the same motion as you. So my right elbow's up, like pointed at you. And out of the corner of the right side of my peripheral vision, I see this silver thing go, shoo! And then I feel it connect. Bap! And then I instantly know that, like, oh, fuck. Somebody, like, Judas hit me in the elbow with this freaking baton. Like, and I, 
All I could think was how it must have been just like that white hot flash of pain. Oh, man. And, of course, everybody was like, the instructors came over and like, oh, you lost control of your baton. You got to do push-ups. I'm like, go fuck yourself. Like, I probably broke his fucking arm. He needs to go to the hospital. <laughs> man, that hurt. That hurt. That, yeah, that was. Yeah, it hit and it dropped me. Oh, but man. I was still funny. I'm just retarded and I just kept laughing. And then it was like, if I remember right, it bruised up real yeah. bad, didn't it? Oh, man, I felt so bad. It was like this big, gnarly purple bruise on his elbow. Well, I guess they're effective. I still feel bad for that, but it was one of those, like, I feel, <laughs> looking I, back on it, I was like fucking TJ Hooker. <laughs> throwing his fucking PR-24. Oh, man. Yeah, it still, worked. I, I mean, still laugh about it. It'd be a, I, a good way to know it's effective because yeah. it dropped me. <laughs> That's yeah. one in a million shot, Doc. I meant to I meant to throw that story in when we were talking earlier about it, us going to the academy well, together. The magic of editing. I spaced it out. So, all right. So we'll end with that. I do appreciate you coming in and chatting with us today, man. Like you're one of my best friends, and I wanna I wanna try to make this into something that people are gonna want to hear. So, um, with that, that wraps up our episode today. Make sure you go follow us on Podbean. We'll be there at www.thedoorduppodcast.podbean.com. We're trying to get onto iTunes. We'll be there soon. If you guys have questions, comments, make sure you hit us up on our Instagram page at Podcast. You can see us there. Thanks for dooring up with us today, and we'll catch you next time.